0: Swinburne on natural evil Swinburne accepts the free will defence on evil. His starting point is that he believes that it is good that human beings have free will and that God has good reasons, a plan, for allowing us to have that free will. However, we have to know the consequences of freely done actions or the exercise of free will will have no point. Unless we had knowledge of consequences, we'd have no reason to choose one thing or another. Swinburne says that this knowledge of consequences can only be from experience. We can only know that a particular action is harmful through prior experience. And he gives some examples. Drinking eight double whiskies, giving cyanide to other people, allowing rabies into the country, and so on. This experience might be direct, that is, our own, or indirect, coming from the observation of others. There is a regularity about experience and the way it relates to action. The natural world operates according to law-like regularities in nature, for human beings to learn about the consequences of their actions, that fire maims, that earthquakes cause devastation, and so on. We can learn how to exercise our free will when dealing with cyanide, or fire, or when building cities, and so on. He says, there must be naturally occurring evils if men are to know how to cause evils themselves, or are to prevent evil occurring. So as Hamilton says, I could not know what I was doing in freely choosing to douse a cat with petrol and setting it on fire, unless there were natural evils connected with fire, showing me that fire maims and kills. In short, natural evils serve, for Swinburne, to give us knowledge so that we can properly exercise our free will. Hamilton says, there are two problems here. The first is that we learn about the consequences of actions by seeing the suffering of others, say in a war or in an earthquake. Does it not seem unjust to have a system which allows some to learn about evils at the expense of others, the victims of those evils? Swinburne's response to this is to say that the relation of God to human beings is like that of a parent to her children. Parents, he says, have the right to allow one of their children to suffer for the good of their other children. This is because there is a wider picture, the ultimate concern for all of their children. And secondly, for Hamilton, there is a problem with the amount of evil in the world. There is so much evil and suffering in the world. Surely there is more than we need to gain knowledge of the good and bad consequences of our actions. Surely God could have made the natural world with fewer natural evils, but still enough for us to learn. Swinburne thinks that the great amount of suffering is necessary for the knowledge we need regarding freedom and responsibility. He adds that we should not ask God to make a toy world where there is minimal suffering. This would be like an overprotective parent who will not let his child out of sight for a moment. He concludes that Hiroshima, Belson and the Black Death are for our own good in the long run. Hamilton responds to this with the idea that monstrous sufferings of some are justified in the long term as seeming to lack moral sensitivity. He adds that if Swinburne is right, the suffering is required to allow us to exercise our free will and responsibility to others. Why does God allow so little suffering? Surely God could have made it so that we had more suffering, giving us greater opportunities to learn. He gives the example of voodoo dolls, but that which work. God could have given this easy way of causing greater suffering to others, easier than buying a gun and shooting someone, and less likely to get caught. It would have brought about a greater opportunity for learning about and exercising free will and responsibility. If Swinburne is right, says Hamilton, there should be more suffering, according to Swinburne's account, which, says Hamilton, is simply absurd. Swinburne's arguments should be rejected on this grounds alone.